Okay, well, if you guys have your Bibles, if you could open up to 1 Peter. Oh yeah, if you need a Bible, you could uh, grab one up here. Actually, we just got new Bibles. I think we should bring those down at some point. Yeah. ESV. Uh, open up to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Starting off with verse 9. Some thumbs up when you guys are there would be nice. First Peter 2, verse 9. All right, that's good enough for me. We're going to read verses 9 through 12. It says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let's pray. Father, we come before you tonight and we just ask that you would bless this time, Lord. Um, Would you encourage our hearts knowing that we are a people chosen and precious to you? Um, Lord, would that truth just resonate in our hearts? Um, Help us to look to your word to understand more what that means. Pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well... When I was younger, um, my family kind of had this like uh, reward-based system. So if you like kind of do a good thing or if you do good in school or something like that, um, you get to go pick out a toy or something, at least when I was younger. I'm about to graduate college, so my family decided to get me a guitar, so we're kind of on another level now. But back then, it was more like we would go to the store and I would pick out a toy of some sort. And back then... The, the only thing that I would ever go to, the, the, the one aisle was the Lego aisle, and the one area of the Lego aisle I would go to was where the Bionicles were. You know, so, so if you know, you know, but I got a little visual aid, um, yeah. right? This is, this is a homemade one. Um, his name is Icefire, which, you know, pretty, uh, yeah. So... <laughs> But the point is, whenever I would go to the store, um, I was bringing up this illustration to my mom a couple days ago, and she said that I would literally go to the store, and it was supposed to be like a five-minute trip, like, oh, okay, pick out a toy or something. But I would spend hours looking and picking, making sure I would grab the perfect Bionicle, because, it, I, I mean, it was, it was so personal to me, right? This was a big investment for me. I mean, I wasn't paying a dime, but, like, this was a big choice to make. And so I would spend hours and I would look and it was probably torture for them. And then I would finally pick one and then we'd be like walking out of the store. And my mom said that uh, even as we were on our way to the checkout, I would change my mind and go back and I would put it back and I would take 20 more minutes to look at the Bionicles because that's how meaningful it was for me to choose the correct Bionicle. And um, this might be a little distracting. (laughs) <laughs> um, the point is, it, it's, 
it's um, personal when you're making a choice, right? If, if Toy Story was true, and if Bionicles could be alive, right, which we don't have proof that they can't yet, but if that were true, if that were the case, then this Bionicle would feel honored to be chosen, knowing that I spent so much time, knowing that I personally selected him after uh, seeing that he has glowing eyes and all those things, if he's red or whatever, uh, he would feel honored. And so this passage makes it very clear that if you are a Christian, if you, have, um, if you know Christ, if he has interceded in your life, then you have been chosen as a new people. And when you are born again, you are actually born into a heavenly citizenship. So before your identity is, uh, is in what you, know, you do and how good of a student you are at school and your athletics or, or anything like that, before you're an engineer, before you're a scientist or before you work at Target, before you are you know, the president of the United States, if you uh, have Christ in you, before you are any of those things, your identity is in Christ and you are a Christian. And so Peter in, these, uh, in this passage is making the point that this is your citizenship and you must live according to your heavenly citizenship. He's saying that as exiles on this world, as people who are exiled, who aren't in, in heaven where their true home is, but, but that's where we're citizens of, you must live here accordingly to your true citizenship, which is in heaven. And this isn't uh, an easy thing to do at all. I mean, you know, we're sinners and this is a difficult thing to even process. But there are three things I think that this passage kind of points out um, that, that we need to be constantly reminding ourselves of if we are to live according to our citizenship. Those three things are um, we must be constantly reminding ourselves um, who we are, where we are, and why we're here. So we're going to look at each of those individually, who we are, where we are, and why we're here. Let's look down back at uh, verse 9. We're going to start off by looking at who we are. It says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, all these things, right? We, uh, it's, this is a direct contrast to what comes right before it. We looked at it last week, but look at verse 7, which says, So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. This is who you are, according to Peter. Right? He's, um, last week, if you don't really remember, it, it was describing these, this, uh, this living stone. And he's pointing to these Old Testament passages that talk about stones and, and use stones as a metaphor. And he's pointing to how these are all in relation to Christ. And so for you, for, is the honor for you because this is great news. This is joyful news, news worthy of praise and worship and honor. And, and, but for some, this is not good news. This is, this, is, uh, this is a time of judgment, right? But you... Chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, people for his own possession. It is the honor. 
these words, right? Uh, chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, um, the uh, people of his own possession. These are uh, very similar language to um, this, uh, this status described in Exodus 19 of, of the status that you kind of get when you have a perfect covenant union with God, right? But Israel, right, if you know the Old Testament at all, uh, going down a sinful pattern of just completely disobeying, breaking the covenant, all these things, just turning their head away from God. And, and we, born into sin, uh, are, are children of wrath. And so we have no, um, no power to do this on our own. But what happened? Christ interceded. He came, he died on the cross on your behalf. He paid the debt. He ransomed you. He took the wrath of God. And so anytime the father looks at you, he is looking through the perfect, spotless, sinless uh, lens of Christ when he looks at you. And because of this, you have a perfect covenant with God. So this status, this, uh, this holy uh, nation that you get to be a part of, this heavenly citizenship is attainable because Christ died. Because the father looks through the lens of his perfect son, this is who you are. Unlike the Bionicles, you weren't chosen based off of um, any of your pre-existing realities, like none of your features. It is purely by grace. When he says, um, you are a chosen race, this is not an earthly race. This is not a, 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 a race among the world, right? This isn't a, a national race. This isn't some um, ethnicity uh, thing. This is just like when Paul describes in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor uh, free. There is no male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. One new race, unified under Christ. Christ is the center And if we are unified under Christ, then we are a new race, a chosen race. Matter of fact, all of these things are new. Chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, a new race, a new priesthood, a new nation, a new people for his own possession. Right, Because the place is no longer the temple in Jerusalem. We looked at how the place where God dwells is within us as living stones being built up as the church. The priesthood is no longer the descendants of Aaron, right? Because the the royal priesthood is with you, the Christian. The people who are in this holy nation are no longer just the descendants of Abraham because it is neither Jew nor Greek. It is unity in Christ. The people of the Old Testament were delivered from Babylon, but as Peter says, you were delivered from darkness. This is who you are. And darkness cannot overcome the God who has weaved the very fabric of light into existence. Light came um, to men, but men love darkness, as John 3 puts it. You, a child of wrath, right, as we looked at, a child of the slanderer, right? You love darkness. You are drawn to it. You're drawn to the passions of the flesh, as we'll look at in the future. But, But Christ, on his intercession of your heart, is tuning your heart more to his likeness to be attracted to light, bringing you out of the darkness, shedding light on you. This is who you are. Verse 10 says, 
Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now, when Peter was writing this, it's, uh, it's clear that, that the people he was writing to were very aware of the story of Hosea, the prophet Hosea. Um, uh, chapter one of that book talks about the story about how Hosea was commanded to marry um, a prostitute, right? An adulteress. God commanded Hosea to marry an adulteress. And a lot of times in these uh, prophets and, 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 you know, these Old Testament books, these, these things are done to give an image sort of of, um, of what we look like in union to God, right? So just as Hosea, an upright man of God, married this adulteress, God is in covenant with Israel, a nation of adultery, constantly turning their back to God and going in their own ways. And so it gives this sort of vision of um, this downward spiral that Israel is on. And they have children. And uh, God commands two of the children to be named, one of them named Lo uh, Ruhama, which means no mercy. God's saying that I'm going to, uh, I once showed you mercy, but now I will show you mercy no more. I'm going to deliver you into the hands of your enemies because you have broken your covenant with me. And lo am I, which means not my people. Once you were my people, now you are not my people. I'm going to deliver you into the hands of your enemies. And so this is bad news for them. But in Hosea 2, there is hope of of a future restoration, right? Uh, A future promise of being redeemed. Are you starting to put the dots together a little bit, right? Christ's coming and interceding for us is that restoration, is that future hope that we have access to. It's It's this privilege of the gospel that we have access to, this perfect covenant reunion. And so in 1 Peter, verse, uh, chapter two, verse 10, when he says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This hits home, right? This is saying, okay, this is the conclusive statement to all those years ago when we were, uh, when we were not uh, shown mercy anymore and when we were not his people anymore. And now we're united through the blood of Christ. Now we are his people. Listen, this is who you are. All of this, this, um, this word, which we talked about a week ago, um, this good news, this honor, this privilege of the gospel that angels long to look at, all of this, why? Why do you get it? Because now you have received mercy. There is no other reason. So when you introduce yourself, who do you say that you are? I remember when Aaron went to Africa a few years ago and he came back. Um, he went with Eric Bells, Ali's dad, and he came back. He uh, he talked about how when someone introduced themselves, it was just super encouraging because when they introduced themselves, they said, hi, my name is so-and-so. I'm a Christian. As if that was the most important thing about them, as if that was where their identity was in. Can you imagine if that's how we introduced ourselves instead of saying, my name is Keegan. I work at Target. A people chosen by God before the foundation of the earth. A nation built on the death and resurrection of Christ. Sinners 
redeemed and made spotless, orphans adopted and loved. This is who you are. It's very important to understand who you are. It's going to be the drive for understanding why it's important where we are and why, uh, and why, what, um, why we're here is going to stem from that as well. So to look at where we are, let's look at verse 11. It says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain or to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. If you remember, um, a couple weeks ago, we talked about how passions is a word that whenever Peter uses it, he's always referring to a sinful pleasure, right? When Peter's using the word passions, he's not talking about godly passions. He's not talking about reading your Bible and stuff like that. He's talking about passions of the flesh, sinful pleasures, which you take delight in. And so he's saying that this, uh, he's, he's urging you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from these passions of the flesh. You're in a sinful world. This is where you are. And it's very important to have a strong grasp of this, to understand where you are. It is so important because if you don't, then you are um, being oblivious and it's foolish to walk in this world and not understand the sin of it. And it's dangerous. You must understand where you are. If I were to get on a boat and go and travel to uh, just, I guess, on a ship or something to um, and, and crash land on an island or something. And, and I go on and let's say it's a cannibalistic society, right? That's just what they do. They just eat people. So <laughs> sure. But would that permit me to partake of such things? Right? Would that make it okay for me to also do this? Does being an exile in a sinful world permit you to simply conform to it? Certainly not. Certainly not. Romans 12, 2 tells us, do not be conformed to this world. Why? Because you are exiles. You are not of this world. You are citizens of heaven. This is, this is how you are supposed to conduct yourself on this world. You are exiled here and your time here, you must guard your heart because it is a sinful world and it is tempting. It's tempting and it's appetizing, but it will wage war on your soul. Beloved, he says, how can you not read this and look at it as a plea? I read it like, Beloved, I urge you, I beg of you, as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Remember, he already said this earlier. He, he means this. He's, he's saying it again because it's important. He's begging you. He understands. Have you ever thought about how Peter, maybe more so than yourselves, having seen Christ actually take on the wrath of God may have a sliver of an understanding of what that might've looked like, of how much sin and weight and the actual weight of sin and what that looked like. Because it's so easy for us to take that lightly. But for him who may have seen that a little bit stronger than us, he's saying it's waging war against your soul.
This is a current war. When he says waging war against your soul, it's, it's a present term, right? It's currently waging war against your soul. This is stuff that is currently a tug of war in your heart. It's currently a battle between darkness and light and hope to be drawn out of darkness and into the light. This is a constant battle. I love um, his comments on, on, on televangelists who uh, are saying like, um, you know, become a Christian. Your life will get easier. Your life will get better. Uh, if, you, if you donate money to the church, if you maybe read the Bible once or twice, if you pray once or twice, your life will get better. Just have enough faith and your life is just going to be easy. In response to that, R.C. Sproul says, my life didn't become complicated until I became a Christian. It wasn't until I became a Christian that, that all of a sudden I can't do whatever I want. Right? All of a sudden there's consequences. All of a sudden there's things that, there, there's a war that you're aware of all of a sudden. Right? So what is causing a war in your soul? I mean, what are you wrestling with? Because Peter seems pretty uh, strong opinionated about this. It's, it's a war. It's waging war. It's not to be taken lightly. So what is causing a war? Is it stuff that we talked about last week? Is it slander, gossip, forms of malice, disobeying parents, pornography? Whatever it is, you must remove it because this is not your home. You are in exile. You are living as a sojourner in a place that is not your home. It's a fallen world, a sinful and corrupt culture that feeds off of the passions of the flesh. It's a hostile environment, a place where you are prone to wander. This is where you are. This is where you are. And so, like Peter says earlier, that we looked at a few weeks ago, gird up the loins of your mind, right? Be sober-minded, guard your heart with this word, with other Christians, stay in community. You have to fight back. A war means fighting on both sides. You have to fight back. This is very important. Who you are? A Christian? Beloved, chosen people? A holy nation? Privileged to behold the gospel? Honored to see Christ as the cornerstone? Where you are? A sinful, broken world, tempting world, causing strife and war. Verse 12 will give us some insight for why we are here. It says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. On the day of visitation. 
I mean, we've established who you are and, and where you are. But, but this is why you are here. What does he say? He says, to keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Ultimately, skip ahead, for the glory of God. Ultimately, for the glory of God. And do you see the contrast between 11 and 12 and the original Greek? It's just one big, long sentence, right? He's saying, abstain from these passions. I plead, I beg of you, abstain from these passions. Rather, conduct yourselves with honor towards the Gentiles. And when he's talking about Gentiles, just as he has described um, Christians as the chosen race, the true Israel, non-Christians, people who don't know Christ, people who don't have Christ in their heart, are the true Gentiles. So when he's referring to Gentiles, that means people who are not Christians. He's not talking about the people group of Gentiles. He says, um, keep your conduct honorable. Honorable, that's beyond respectful. Right? That's, that, that, that's the type of love uh, that we are called to show. I mean, Christians, you're called to love the orphan and the widow. You are called to uh, love the world, right? I mean, not in the sense of the passions of the flesh, but you're called to be loving in the world, right? For the ultimate purpose for this day of visitation that they may glorify God. In the sense that uh, you act this way and you show your good deeds uh, on display, reflecting the love of Christ, Right, reflecting Christ through your works, through your actions, in such a way that it might influence other people and they might see it and they might see that maybe you have a heart that has actually been tuned towards God's grace and they might see that you have actually been transformed and then they might turn and they might accept Christ into their hearts. They might hear your testimony and they might glorify God as well. I mean, that's the great commission to go and preach the gospel This day of visitation it talks about, um, uh, it, it was kind of confusing. There's a couple um, different interpretations of this day of visitation. Some people simply think that it is the uh, second coming of Christ, right? It is, the, is judgment day is when Christ will come again. Some people think that is simply just a day of, um, of blessing or cursing from God. But ultimately, it is a day when God places his hand of sovereignty over his people, right? It is a day of the Lord's providence being placed on his people. But the actual terms there, they, um, they, they refer to this, uh, this, this visitation from the bishop, which is basically a Greek a military uh, general who would come and he would visit his uh, unit or army or whatever, and it would be like kind of a surprise visit, right? So, so you know, when you're, you know, in school and stuff and the teacher's like, okay, I'm going to be out for like 10, 15 minutes, but when I come back, you better be working or else, you know, you're getting it. And so you, like, what do you do automatically when they leave? You just get on your phones and you start talking or whatever. Then they come back like five minutes early or something and it's like, you're out, right? It, it, it's, it's similar in, in, under, in sensing that, like, that, that this day of visitation, if it is Christ's second coming, then Jesus described it like a thief in the night, right? You don't know when it's coming. So conduct yourselves with honor to the Gentiles. Love them well. 
share the gospel, share your testimony. Because, I mean, don't you care for their souls? I mean, if, you, if you're truly uh, in, in, in desire to glorify God, then that comes with a, a care, a genuine care and desire for the utmost for people's souls. I mean, this, this wrath that you were delivered out of, Really quick, look at verse nine, backtracking, the second half of it, when it's talking about your chosen race, all that after that, it says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Proclaim the excellencies. Do you understand? This is why you're here. To proclaim the gospel, to share your testimony, to say that I was a child of wrath. I was in darkness and I've been brought out. I've been brought out. I couldn't have done it on my own merit. It was Christ who came in and interceded on my life and brought me out of darkness. I was on my way to hell. I was on the wide path, but he plucked me, he grabbed me, and he placed me on a path to righteousness. And I'm sharing that with you because I care, because I love you, because I want you to glorify him on the day of visitation, whenever that may be. We are all going to bow a knee before Christ whether that be when he comes again or, or whether that be when we go and see him. And your desire for people, including yourself, should be that they and that you would glorify him, not run in terror, because it will be one of the two. This is why we're here. To love as Christ loved, to live according to your heavenly citizenship, to share the gospel message with the Gentile, the gospel through which you were saved, all solely for the utmost praise and glory and honor to the lamb that was slain, to glorify God. This is why you are here. So when I would go to the store and I would get a Bionicle, that Bionicle is no longer Target's. That Bionicle is no longer Walmart's. That Bionicle is no longer Fred Meyer's or wherever. That Bionicle is mine, right? And, and, I, and you know, that one, like, I, I can, you know, mark it up. I can change it. I can transform it to my liking. It doesn't matter where I got it. It doesn't matter how long it was sitting on the shelf. It's mine now. You are no longer a child of wrath if you know Christ. You have been plucked. You are not of this world. You are a new people, a new nation. You have been chosen. You must remember who you are. A child of God, born again to a living hope through the death of Christ. You must remember where you are. A dangerous place. Exiled here. Not your home. A tempting place. And you must remember why you're here. Ultimately for the glory of God. You are a citizen. You are a citizen. Conduct yourself in such a manner. I want to end with.
just a small reading of a little passage in Ephesians 4, and then we'll pray. This is Paul. He says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this privilege to be called your people, Lord. We thank you that you have bestowed on, the, on us this honor. Lord, I ask that you would convict our hearts to live according to your citizenship in heaven. Lord, would you tune our hearts to be more um, like your son? Would you help us to abstain from the passions of the flesh? Would you help us to glorify you in everything that we do? I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.